And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A little disclaimer about today's show. We got the news after we recorded about Gary Payton II's failed physical that puts this four-team deal in jeopardy. James Wiseman may not even go to the Detroit Pistons. He might be going right back to the Warriors. And so there's a whole section about the Pistons and James Wiseman. So just keep that in mind. Maybe this gets rescinded. Maybe this is all old news. Maybe the Pistons get a mulligan on the James Wiseman deal. Maybe it's good because Jalen Duran had a, a 30-point double-double tonight. So just keep that in mind. If this is rescinded, then it's just all moot. But just keep in mind that Alex and I did not know about this situation yet. If you want to read more about it, go check it out. It's on The Athletic, written by Sham Sharania and Anthony Slater. It goes into some details, some... Uh, some some pretty some pretty bad stuff going on in Portland with regards to their players and specifically Gary Payton II. But worth your time, worth your read. But just a quick disclaimer before you get into today's show. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. That on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Slick. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. Also, go check out The Athletic NBA Show YouTube page. You can watch this show on YouTube today. Go check it out on The Athletic NBA Show YouTube page. So if you want to watch us talk, you can do that. You can also see Dave DeFore and I, we put out a video for every trade that was done on trade deadline day. You can go see our analysis of every single trade out there. So that's on the Athletic NBA Show YouTube page. Al, this is uh it's been quite a week in the NBA. I honestly I, I need your help. Please explain to me what happened in the NBA this week. You got it, Andrew. <laughs> it all started last Friday night with a matchup between the last two teams to lose the NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics and Phoenix Suns. With Devin Booker still out of the lineup at that point, it was Mikel Bridges picking up the slack, scoring a team-high 25 points in the 106-94 win over the Celtics. How about the development of Mikel Bridges this season? Career high in points and assists per game. That guy is a keeper, Andrew, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I would say You'd so. You'd have to get something pretty good to move him. Well... Let's see how the rest of the week unfolded. Let's see if a hilarious sequence of unbelievable events over the past half decade <laughs> all perfectly led up to this exact moment in Suns history where they suddenly find themselves willing to part with Mikel Bridges. On Saturday, we had a potential season-changing injury for the Golden State Warriors. In a 119-113 win over the Mavs, Steph Curry went down with a left leg injury late in the third quarter. 
We would later learn that Curry had suffered partial tears to his superior tibiofibular ligaments, Andrew, and his interosseous membrane. That diagnosis... (laughs) Translated to an expectation that Curry will be out multiple weeks. The team announced on Thursday that he would be reevaluated after the All-Star break. As for their opponent, the Dallas Mavericks, that game would be the first of three consecutive missed games for Luka Doncic. Would the Mavs be able to survive without a second banana to lead them? That question would be answered on Sunday when Shams Sharania tweeted that the Brooklyn Nets would be sending all-star guard and agent of chaos Kyrie Irving to Dallas for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, an unprotected 2029 first and multiple second round picks. In addition to raising Dallas's ceiling for this season, did you realize this also means this is the first time the Mavs have had two all-stars since the 2009-2010 season? Uh, do, do you remember who the all-stars would have been, Andrew? 2009, 2010? 2009, 2010. Yeah, that uh, was an easy obviously one. Obviously, Dirk. Yeah. One point. 9-10. 9-10. Oh, my gosh. Tell me the other one. Jason Kidd. Jay Kidd. Okay. Old man Weird. Kidd. Wow, Current coach. Uh, on Monday, our favorite team, the Los Angeles Clippers, played an entertaining game of basketball against the aforementioned Brooklyn Nets. While the Clippers got the win over the shorthanded Nets, the story of the game was second-year player Cam Thomas, who scored 47 in the loss, including seven three-pointers. Now, 47 is impressive. But more impressive is that this game was only the second entry in a trilogy of 40-point games Cam Thomas had this week. In consecutive games, Cam Thomas scored 44, 47, and 43 points, becoming the youngest player in NBA history to ever score 40-plus in back-to-back-to-back games. On Tuesday night, history was made. After 39 years, the NBA's all-time scoring record was broken by LeBron James when he hit a fadeaway jumper over OKC's Kenrich Williams while Thomas Bryant called for the ball in the post. It was a memorable moment, made even more memorable by the presence of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who previously held the record for almost four decades. The game itself was the only blemish on LeBron's night as the Lakers fell to 25-30 and after a 133-130 loss to the Thunder. The good news is that the Lakers made some major moves at the deadline. The bad news is they are two and a half games back of the 10th seed, needing to jump three teams just to have a chance to win two road games to make the playoffs. We shall see, Andrew. On Wednesday, we had a matchup of two of the top teams in the East, Philly and Boston, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, scored a combined 16 points in the game, in part due to Jalen Brown having to leave the game early with facial injury. Despite that, the Celtics were able to hold off the Sixers 106-99, moving to 39-16, although only one game ahead of the Milwaukee Bucks, who have won nine in a row. Now, our second big trade of the deadline also happened on Wednesday with the Lakers acquiring Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and D'Angelo Russell. Main pieces going out were a first and Russell Westbrook going to Utah, while Utah sent Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker to Minnesota. Finally on Thursday, we had a deadline to remember. Following Kyrie's exit from Brooklyn, it was KD's turn. Just after 1 a.m. on the East Coast, we learned that Kevin Durant and TJ Warren had been traded to the Phoenix Suns for Mikkel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four unprotected firsts, and a swap. The trade is one of the biggest in-season trades for a star player in NBA history. The rest of the trade deadline, though, didn't disappoint either. In total, there were 16 trades in 13 hours, involving 24 of the 30 teams. And the theme of the day was second-round picks and reunions. 
44 second round picks were traded at the deadline. And as for unions, we had Jakob Pertl going back to Toronto, George Hill to the Pacers, Eric Gordon to the Clippers, John Wall briefly to the Rockets, and Gary Payton II back to the Warriors. Last thing, Andrew, on this Friday, and I never do this, Andrew, we're on day eight now. This is unprecedented in Slam and Jam history. But the All-Star Reserve replacements were announced this morning. Pascal Siakam, De'Aaron Fox, Anthony Edwards have made the All-Star game. That's two more guys who uh, are making it their first time. And Anthony awesome. Edwards was your pick. That was my guy. He finally made so it. There you go. in there. It worked out for you. What a week and what a deadline it was, Andrew. Oh, my goodness. Uh before we kind of jump into our themes of the week or what we're talking about this week, I just want to just let's just talk about our favorite deals. Like, what deal do you think will make make a difference? Which one did you just favorite like deals. the most? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what was what was your favorite? Um, I, I mean, I'm leaving aside the KD trade because I mean that, that's an obvious one. It's I a could great talk one. About that it's a great um, trade. The the Lakers, you know, the trade they they did with Russell Westbrook, very impressive. Yep. Though I still wonder, is it too late? Because they lost again last night. I, I saw somebody uh, online saying they basically have to go like sixteen and ten the rest of the way just to make the plan. Oh so gosh. as much as I like those trades that they made, they did make good use of what assets they had. You do wonder if it's too little, too late. So yeah. I'm going to go with the San Antonio Spurs and what okay. they got for Jakob Pertl because yeah. I had seen in in the run-up, like, oh, the Spurs are asking for two firsts for Jakob Pertl. And I was just thinking to myself, like, yeah, I get that he's a, a good player, but he's a non-shooting center on an expiring deal. Like, how are, how are they getting a juicy pick for Jakob Pertl? Again, as good as he is. But there were just, like, these other factors involved. And for them to get a top six protected first from Toronto, got to give him a round of applause for that. I was very impressed. Yeah. Did not see that coming. I like that. Uh, I'm gonna go with this is a this is a minor deal, but Luke Kennard going to the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, Nard Dog. Uh getting the Nard Dog. I, I just I like this for them. That's their biggest weak point, is like they just don't shoot threes very well. They're one of the worst three point shooting teams in the league. They don't take a lot of them. And so just adding a guy that is just going to take threes and at a high volume. And he shoots, he's shooting for like forty five percent from three this year. Like I just like <laughs> adding one more guy that can help. Those are out Isaiah space, Joe numbers, Andrew. Space the floor. <laughs> I mean, you look at them; they're twentieth and three pointers made per game. Like, yeah. If you're going to be an elite team, I think that you you got to do better than that. Uh, I do also just I just want to commend the Suns for for pulling pulling the trigger on that Kevin Durant deal. It made. The West was already pretty fascinating going into this like final stretch and into the postseason, but boy, like now it actually gives you like someone to to kind of circle a little bit. Before it was like, yeah, I I think Denver, I think it's Denver, um, it, it but give, now it's it gives like, you someone oh my to gosh. it gives you someone to circle, but it is it is not like the 2017 Warriors. Like there's no. still plenty of reason to doubt this team, mainly because of health. And, and and potentially because of depth, we'll see who they get in the buyout. And market. because they haven't played yet together, like we have, we don't even know what it looks yet. like. Um, but yeah, that that's what I get excited about because yes, it does feel like we have a new favorite, but there's mm-hmm. still question marks. I I don't feel like things are settled yet. No, like their fifth start. Like, do you feel good about the Tory Craig spot? Hey man, um, it could be Bays. 
Could be Darius hey, Baisley. Hey, man, not going to be Bays. Not going to be Bays, man. <laughs> uh, okay, so as we mentioned, the deadline was on Thursday. A lot of deals, yeah. a lot of picks. We've had 24 hours to think about what happened. We've listened to post-deadline pods. We've read trade grades. Yeah. Uh, we've stared at our phones for hours while our lives pass us by. What I'm interested <laughs> in is, after all of that, what are the lingering questions coming out of this deadline as we look forward to the playoffs and then the offseason? You know, what are the decisions that were made at this deadline that are still gnawing at us? Mm-hmm. And for me, I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers, who I will be yeah. seeing in person tonight, Andrew. I waited yes. to buy my tickets until the deadline, until after the deadline. I had the idea, Andrew, that if they had a lackluster deadline, ticket prices would go down. <laughs> and it did technically work. Now, it was probably completely unrelated. But I was feeling pretty good about myself when I saw those prices mm-hmm. starting to drop. Uh, the Blazers were one of the most confusing teams at the deadline because they, along with Toronto, as in another example, seemed to be a team that didn't totally choose a direction. There, there's still major questions, Mark, about what, what is the plan going forward. So to recap, the Blazers traded away Josh Hart, Gary Payton II, in two seconds. In return, they got Matisse Thibel, Cam Reddish, protected first, five seconds. The response to that deadline was, uh, frankly, a lot of negativity, Andrew. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you read Jason Quick's article at The Athletic, Mm -hmm. but he summed it up as follows. Quote, on the edges of a play in berth with their 32-year-old star having perhaps his best season ever, the Blazers at the NBA trade deadline did not go for it. They did not get better. They provided almost zero help to their star. Instead, they did what they always do. Played around the (laughs) margins of their roster while kicking the can down the road with Mm -hmm. promises that this is all by design, all part of a greater plan at work. General Manager Joe Cronin didn't speak Thursday, but you can bet at Friday's press briefing he will have some version of just wait until summer when the Blazers can make the real push. Those are are fighting words, Andrew. Yikes. That's, uh, that's, That's strong words. I am going to attempt to make the case, however, that just wait until summer actually made the most sense in this case. Because seeing how the deadline played out, Andrew, Mm -hmm. what did people expect? What could Portland have realistically done at this deadline to meaningfully change the season? As a reminder, they came into this deadline only $67,000 below the tax with no first-round picks available to trade. And a report from Chris Haynes that Anthony Simons was, quote, virtually untouchable in the weeks leading up to the deadline. They yeah. also came to the deadline one game below 500 as the 10th seed in the West. So given that mm-hmm. backdrop and seeing how you basically needed four or five seconds just to get in the conversation for a rotation player, what did people realistically want them to do? Now, you could say, well, they should have been open to trading Anthony Simons or they should have been aggressive in shopping Shaden Sharp for an immediate upgrade. In some ways, I get that perspective. Those are Portland's two best non-Dame assets. And if this team was going to meaningfully upgrade the roster, one or both of those guys would have needed to be involved. This team did not have the pick ammo to make a big deal otherwise. I get that. And let's say I agree that a meaningful upgrade to this roster will eventually require moving Sharp and or Simons. Does it make sense to do that at this deadline or this summer? I think the answer is obviously this summer. And because of that, I kind of get why Portland did what they did. So listen to what happens this summer. They go from a team who wasn't able to trade any first to a team that will be able to trade multiple first. If they miss the playoffs, they keep their own pick, which means they'd have a lottery pick and likely the Knicks pick to trade, assuming the Knicks make the playoffs, which I probably shouldn't assume. 
They'd also be able to trade their 2030 pick because the protections on that Larry Nance Jr. pick way like a couple years ago, it only extends to 2028. It only extends (laughs) another five years. If they do make the playoffs, it gets even easier to make a meaningful trade because then their pick conveys to Chicago. Now all their future picks are suddenly available to be included in trades beginning with that 24 pick. Mm-hmm. So, listen, I get the reaction to the Blazers' deadline. It feels like this team has been uh, wandering in the wilderness for two years now. Meanwhile, Dame, at 32, is putting up one of his best offensive seasons yet, which is saying something. Yeah. I'm just saying, Andrew, their options were extremely limited. And as a result, I personally, as a non-Blazers fan, am willing to wait until this summer when they finally will have some ammo to compete with some of these other teams when it comes to big trades. I do think Simons and or Sharp will likely need to be moved if they actually want to upgrade this roster in a meaningful way. I'm willing to be wrong on that, but it's hard for me to see the path right now where you avoid that. That said, I don't think this was the deadline. I don't think it was the right spot to make those moves. They will be in a better position this summer. And if this summer is a flop, Andrew, I give you my word, I will officially give up on the Blazers and stop talking about them with any hint of optimism, okay? That is a promise to you. Until then, I am willing to wait. Now, speaking of a summer flop, there's one more angle to this that I wanted to bring up that is Uh relevant to the Blazers. I mentioned Toronto earlier as a team that also didn't like definitively choose a path. And as a result, they're looking at a pivotal summer similar to Portland. They have Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., and Pirtle all needing new deals. OG and Siakam will essentially be expirings at that point. They've got a lot to figure out. The angle that connects these two teams for me that I've been thinking about is how dangerous are Detroit and Houston this summer? Two teams who have not sniffed competence in years. Detroit is about to finish their fourth straight sub-25 win season, while Houston could become the first team in NBA history to finish with the worst record in three straight seasons, something even the process Sixers could not accomplish. These teams are itching to turn the corner next season. And so... While both are set up well to bring on another elite 20-year-old prospect, if they're going to turn a corner in a significant way, they're likely going to need some veteran in reinforcements, okay? I said that really yeah. weird. We know <laughs> that Detroit has not shied away from signing vets to long-term deals. They've done it before. They've done it during this rebuild. Yeah. We know from Kelly Eco's reporting, we talked to him last week, Houston is focused on adding veterans who can be a part of this team's core. We also know that both of these teams are going to have gobs of cap space this summer. So much. Now it al- so much. It always seems like there's a couple bad teams with cap space every summer that uh, no one's really that worried about. Like San Antonio, for instance, is going to have a lot of cap space. No one's really worried about them stealing away their vets. Okay? They're not ready yet. Not ready. They're not ready yet. I think Detroit and Houston, though, are being underrated in this aspect. Um which could make the summer very precarious for teams like Portland and Toronto. James Edwards, we know him, in a recent story, added a little nugget at the end of his story, two sentences. A Pistons-Jeremy Grant reunion this summer in free agency? Don't count it out. Now, Andrew, why would James Edwards throw that grenade in at the end of his article with no other details? What does he know, Andrew? And for Houston, because their entire roster is on rookie-scale deals, overpaying for a vet doesn't have a chance to really hurt them for a while. Like, they can get out of the KPJ contract very easily, and their next big deals, which are likely to be Jalen Green and Alperin Shengun, would not kick in for three more seasons, meaning even if they overpaid a vet this summer to a four-year contract, or even if they kept KPJ for these next three years, 
it would really only overlap with those deals in the final two seasons. So they have a ton of flexibility. If I was a team, for instance, like Portland or Toronto, with expiring vets and hopes of getting a reasonable deal and keeping my roster intact, I would be terrified of Detroit and Houston right now. Terrified, yeah. Andrew. Not because they're yeah. going to like woo these vets, you know, like, oh, come play you know, for this team that won you know, 20 games or whatever, but they can overpay and it won't really hurt them. It's it's true, and they're probably going to have to. <laughs> like, if if they're going to make m- meaningful changes, they're going to have to overpay. And you you kind of look at the crop of free agents. Too, That's the other and thing. You, you wonder. Yeah, it's a like, weak class. Who, who's the difference maker? Like, are the are the Pistons going to have a little Chris Middleton reunion? And Ooh. pay him like a, a big max contract. Okay, like, hadn't thought about that. I don't know. That's that's kind of terrifying. Uh, who knows with Kyrie Irving? Kristaps uh, Porzingis is probably going to stay a Wizard because I think they want him to be. And then like, who are we talking about? Like, is, is Draymond Green going to go somewhere? Jeremy Grant, like you said. I just don't think there's difference makers out there, and that's why I am worried about Detroit. I am worried about their margin for error at this point in their rebuild. Let's just start with picks, okay? Most teams that are rebuilding have a surplus of picks. Like, that's how teams are doing it right now. You look at OKC, they're plus eight. San Antonio's plus eight. Utah's plus nine. The Rockets, even with their own picks out, are plus three. Charlotte's Mm. plus one. Indy's plus two. Detroit is actually minus one in first-round picks moving forward. Because they owe one to the Knicks. That worries me. They're actually in debt second-round picks as well. So they don't have the surplus of picks. They have their own picks, but they don't have a surplus of picks. And if things get good for them soon, they actually are out their own pick because it's traded. So I'm concerned there because if you have a bunch of picks, there's margin for error that if you don't get free agents then possibly you can use those to go get players to help you out. The Pistons don't have those. Why don't they have some of those? Well, some of it is because they're using them to get big men. Okay, They traded They <laughs> traded. They traded a first-rounder to get Jalen Duran. They just did it. They just did it. They acquired a first-round pick for Jeremy Grant. Awesome job. They traded that pick to get Jalen Duran. Now, but, what are they? Uh, you like that move, though. I like that move. I did. It, you're just explaining why they're out. I'm just, some picks. just let me. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm just. I'm just I'm saying. Just maneuvering my way. I'm maneuvering my way okay. through this. Because of all the things they traded, they've done, that's one of the things I have no. I I, I have no problem with it. But okay. I, the okay. problem I, the problem I have is what has been done afterwards. Okay. 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 And how and how that position is being handled. They traded two second round picks: Trey Lyles, Josh Jackson, for Marvin Bagley. Mm, yes. Okay. Fine. They gave him a big extension, twelve and a half million. That's fine. Like that's not. That's not an unforgivable it's sin. It's not it, an it unforgivable sin. Them. It's, I wouldn't call it's it only fine. three years. Yes, it's just a. It's just a whatever deal. Like we yeah. talked about, they have cap space. It's not putting them in the tax. Who really cares? I don't really care. Beef stew. They used a, a nice first round pick to get beef stew. Isaiah Stewart. These are three guys that are non shooters, right? that are on their roster that they would like to develop and become a part of the core, right? 
Yeah, I mean, this Beach is where like a, a theoretical shooter. He takes four threes a game. He's shooting thirty percent from three. He at least he takes them. I guess is something you could he say. Take he takes the threes. That's good. So then, then I'm just. This is why I'm befuddled with the James Wiseman acquisition. <laughs> I'm absolutely yeah. befuddled. Like you have those three. Seems like enough non-shooting bigs, right? You just use a first-round pick to, to get Jalen Duran, and then you're saying, "No, we're going to start James Wiseman." Well, what are we? What are we doing? Like, how, can you can you possibly play now? Marvin Bagley's hurt, and that almost like helps this problem that's happening right now. Yeah, is that he had to have surgery uh, at the beginning of January? Okay, fine, but still, like, is there enough minutes for Wiseman? Beef stew. Jalen Duran, even the rest of this season, like I don't know, I, I, that worries me. That worries me about them. So you have like the picks problem. Now you have like the minutes problem. They're they're in the running for the first pick in the draft, by the way. And who's who's the top? Who's going to be the top pick in the in the at the beginning of this next draft? Who's it going to be, Alex? Uh, another big, another big, another big, another big. And he's not a non-shooting big. Maybe you can play him next to these guys. Whatever. Cool. Fine. Seven foot five. Seven foot five. I'm just a little worried. I'm just a little worried about what the plan is here in See, Detroit. Now, things could go just fine. You get Cade Cunningham back. You draft the number one pick in the draft. Like, you're, you're looking. It's, it's okay. But then you just wonder, like, what are we doing leading up to it? Like, who are the wings on this roster? A 33-year-old Bogdanovich? Like, the other guys that are on the roster that are, like, building blocks are point guards. Like, Ivy, Killian Hayes has played better this year. Like, that's a good sign. Cade Cunningham. And you can say, well, well, you can play those guys together and maneuver it around. But the truth is, like, I want the ball in Cade Cunningham's hands, not in Jaden Ivy or Killian Hayes' hands. And it's a problem that neither of those guys are really shooters. Now, Ivy's shot it well enough to make, maybe give you a little bit of hope for the future. But still, I'm worried. And they don't have picks to fall back on. They, it's basically like this is the plan, and they're just driving forward and just hoping that like Wiseman pops, they get a good pick in this draft, Cunningham pops. But like you said, like this is year four. This isn't like year two that, of the that's rebuild. The, that's the thing for me. Like I think we both agree we're totally cool with a rebuilding team taking a flyer on James Wiseman, seeing if it works out, and and that's what we're going to get to see the rest of the season from Detroit. Yeah. But the pressure of what's coming next season. That's where I start wondering about this move because yeah. it doesn't feel like you have the long runway that James Wiseman likely needs to be able to try him out. And meanwhile, you're you're wanting to play Jalen Duran a lot. I mean, he's he's been really good this season. Yeah. So I, I understand your hesitancy. I'm less I have I have minimal concerns about Cade and Ivy for right now, just because we haven't even seen them really it's fine. play like, together that, that much. That's fine. That's fine. That part of it it's I'm not worried about. Um yeah. But yeah, the Wiseman thing was was interesting just because of where they are in this mm-hmm. process and bringing yeah. in a guy who who needs minutes. Like he needs, if they're really committed to him, and they appear to be. I mean, the fact that they leaked, I mean, it came from multiple Piston sources that he was number one on their draft board, which they, they didn't they, have to they release. They want everybody to know. They want right. everybody to know. Number one on their well, draft board. They, number one, want James Wiseman to know, which is probably also why that report came out about that they're considering starting him. Like They clearly want him to yeah. know that we're committed to you. So yeah. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I understand your concerns. That that yeah. Although I was looking around at some of the other rebuilding teams, like 
who who would be the rebuilding team that would make sense for Wiseman? Because in Utah, you have Walker Kessler. In Houston, you have Alperin Shingun. It wasn't obvious to me where he would necessarily necessarily fit, like where would be a good rebuilding team that could just let him play 30 minutes a game and just kind of work through this stuff. I'm not sure that there's a, I'm not sure that there was an actual situation that made sense, especially with this next draft coming up, because if any of those teams get the number one pick, they're taking a center. Right. You know, like that's why I wouldn't commit anything to a guy like James Wiseman. Now, now if you get pick number two and you're like, okay, now we need to fill the slot, but the Pistons didn't need to fill the slot. That's what, that's what would drive me crazy as a Pistons fan today. So we didn't need to fill the slot at center. We actually have multiple pro, you know, prospects. We have another second overall pick on the team that we traded for already. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I, just, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned. I don't know if this is a glimmer of hope uh, for Pistons fans, but um, Wilco MCV, who is a guy, he does uh, a floor and ceiling is his yeah. YouTube channel, and he does prospect reviews. He put mm-hmm. up a TikTok video talking about how when Jalen Duran was in high school at Nike EYBL, he played on a team with Derek Lively, who is the center at Duke now. And it was yep. actually very good. Now, this is, you know, high school basketball, lower competition. Yeah. And the reason why it worked, he was talking about, was because Derek Lively was shooting threes at that point and making a pretty good clip. So he was able to space the floor. So mm-hmm. theoretically, if James Wiseman, who we have seen even in his limited time, he has been willing to shoot the threes. If he became a shooter, maybe you could one day envision a too big lineup. But even in his TikTok video, he basically came to the conclusion, like, I don't know that I would do this in the NBA, though. Like, maybe it worked in EYBL, but I don't know if I would do it in the NBA. So, you know, maybe go watch those videos, Pistons fans, if you if you want to maybe envision a scenario where both of these guys are playing on the court at the same time. Maybe there's hope for that. But yeah, it, it seems like uh, they're like gunning for this outlier scenario. And hey, hey, James Wiseman is 50% from three this season. There you go. Boom. Did you know that? Boom. Point proven. One of two. Okay. All right. What did he shoot his rookie year? <laughs> his rookie season, he shot 31%. 12 One. of 38. 12 of 38. Okay. So add in those two. So we're up to 40 now. That's 43, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to build that sample he's ta- size. <laughs> he's, he's taking 40 total threes. He's spacing the floor. He and Beef Stew just camping out in the corner so Cade Cunningham can have a free land to the basket. Hell yeah. No, Hell yeah. I, I just am sympathizing with the Pistons fans because I think there's a little bit of angst in Detroit. One, because you've been losing for so long. Yeah. And then two, it doesn't feel like there's exactly an end in sight. Like, Signing up to have all these young big men on your team is like almost like signing up to lose again because it takes these bigs longer. Wiseman, you can just like, – you listen to – I was listening to uh, Warriors Plus Minus this morning, and they're talking about how James Wiseman looked no different this year than he did when he first came in, his rookie year, that he looks exactly the same. And like That's a problem. That's a big problem. Now, maybe with actual consistent minutes in Detroit, that could change. And I do think that getting consistent minutes for players will help. But they're already behind the eighth ball. They're already you're already gonna have to pay him a lot. And then it's it won't be that long until like he needs a contract extension. And then we don't know what they do with the draft. So I I just am looking at the other rebuilds. San Antonio, Utah, OKC, even the Rockets with the picks they're getting from Brooklyn, they have room for error. 
Yeah. They yeah. have room to mess something up. And Detroit, like, they have to, this next draft, if they don't nail this pick, I worry about what that means for their franchise. Because I doubt they're going to be able to get big-time free agents. And the trades aren't going to be there because they're, they're in the negative with regards to picks. And it's just, it's tough. If you don't have multiple picks, you're not going to get great players. So that's it. I'm concerned. I could be dead wrong. This could all go, this could all go right. Maybe they get Brandon Miller in the draft and he comes in, you get Cunningham and then like Wiseman's good. And then everything looks great next year. That's hey, totally get Derek, possible. Get Derek Lively. Get Derek, bring in Derek Lively. <laughs> Throw him Recreate in there. Create EYBL. Yeah, no, there's, there is a path for this to work. I just think that they have, with the way that they've managed this rebuild, the path is like very, very narrow to get there. And like that, to me, is my biggest concern. Oof. I, I, I don't disagree. And, and the common response is, well, you know, Troy Weaver hasn't been here those entire four years. Like you can't put all that on him, which I totally get. But at the same time, as fans of a team, you still had to live through those four years. Like, yeah. Even if you're not putting it all on Troy Weaver, you still had to live through four years of sub-25 win seasons. So yeah. you're naturally going to want to see significant improvement next year. And yeah, that's a ton of pressure for them. But as we mentioned, they have gobs of cap space, Andrew. They could blow they it all on someone. That. Yep, yep. Hopefully that works out for them. Uh, we talked about a narrow path to winning. Another team that has a narrow path to winning, the Clippers. We're going to talk to Law Murray right after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a digital wheel. It lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for a week. This week, the Wheel of Fandom landed on the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, the Clippers had a pretty entertaining week, Andrew. They went 2-1, and one, including an overtime win over the Knicks, an 8-point win over the Nets and Cam Thomas, and a 6-point loss to the Mavs in Kyrie Irving's first game. On deadline day, the Clippers were also one of the more active teams in the league. So long, Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, and John Wall, and welcome to L.A., Bones Highland, Eric Gordon, and Mason Plumley. The Clippers are 31-27, fifth in the West. According to Cleaning the Glass, the Clippers have the 11th-ranked defense and the 24th-ranked offense. Andrew, if the Clippers are our favorite team, who is our guest? It's my guy, Law Murray, Clippers beat writer at The Athletic. Law, what's up, dude? Hi, Andrew. Hi, Alex. Good to see you guys. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. Uh, so before we get to the deadline, let's talk a little bit about how we got here. While injuries were the big story of the early season, since December 5th, Kawhi has only missed seven of a possible 34 games, 
and PG has missed nine. The Clippers have gone 18 and 16 in those 34 games with the 16th ranked defense and 11th ranked offense. For a team with championship aspirations, they are 9 and 20 against teams with a 500 record or better. What have been the major issues this season outside of the injuries? Well, the injuries expose a part of the roster that needs to be optimized. That's why the trade deadline went the way it did. I mean, the Clippers are always busy on the deadline since they stripped Doc Rivers of being the head personnel exec and had Lawrence Frank lead the front office, Michael Winger coming from Oklahoma City in 2017 to be the general manager. Uh, This was the busiest trade deadline that I can recall those guys having, which is saying a lot. Um, And it was necessary. Uh, This roster works with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to a point. And without one, and especially without both of those guys, you see a group of guys who take T. Lou likes to say have a lot of guys who can eat but can't cook, right? Hmm. And yeah, the guys that they only brought one player in from the end of last year's team, and that was John Wall. It's just that they lost only one guy, and it happened to be Isaiah Hartenstein, their backup center. So you're already coming into the season with an unbalanced roster trying to do something different. And the different thing was, hey, we have Paul George. We have Kawhi Leonard. If we just throw a bunch of wings around him, then we can do anything, right? We have our cooks. We have defenders. We can be better at everything. And the problem with Kawhi is when he missed those games. He missed those games at a time when the Clippers still needed to form an identity with a with two guys who missed a bunch of last year and two guys coming off the bench in Wall and Norman Powell who missed a ton of time or all of last year, right? So even though the continuity was there, which helps in the locker room and helps with all your personalities and everything when things go haywire, it does not – you still need to play basketball. You still need to form a cohesive unit that knows what each other are doing on both ends of the floor. I bring all that up because the biggest issue you you I saw that you pointed out the offensive rating, right? The biggest issue to start this season was turnovers. And why do you have turnovers? Because when you have guys in an offense, you want to have an idea of where guys are going to be. Are you going to be in the corner if I drive? Are you going to roll and be able to hit that pocket pass? Do you have someone who can roll at all? Uh, those things are all issues. <laughs> those things are all issues. PG, his main weakness offensively is that he has a mistake at, at least once a quarter. Um, and asking him to be your primary playmaker and ball handler exposes that. So Kawhi, at least when he got back to playing consistently, raised the level, gives you a reliable playmaker who does not turn the ball over at a high rate. And that takes obvious pressure off of Paul George, but they're still missing that. Um, when those guys are out, you have a second unit that, you know, if you want to go small, you can go small with one of Paul and one of Kawhi, but you can't really do that. You can't have Rocco, Robert Covington, and Nicholas Batum play together without one of those guys. You had a lot of three-guard lineups. Why did you have three-guard lineups? Because you're trying to compensate for all the offense that you were missing when one of those two guys were missing. Turns out, not only weren't they good offensively with those guys – and guys, I mean, Luke Kennard with Norman Powell and one of the point guards. Uh, but it was food for, you know, those guys defensively. Like, especially late in games. When you see late in games, 
teams don't try and run a whole bunch of complicated stuff, especially if it's not an ATO. They're just trying to play miss, mixed match basketball. Who can we get that we can take advantage on or draw to and move and get defenses and rotations and get open shots that way? In fourth quarters, it was a disaster. And so the problems with the Clippers have mostly been cleared up with Paul and Kawhi playing consistently. But there's still another step to take. And the deadline addressed some of it. They're still a little incomplete at this time. Well, before we get to the deals that did happen, I did want to start with a deal that didn't happen. Zach Lowe reported on ESPN that the Raptors were willing to trade Fred Van Vliet to the Clippers, but wanted Terrence Mann and at least a draft pick. And the Clippers uh, didn't do that deal. They Now, the Clippers reportedly, and you include this in one of your stories, that they had included Terrence Mann in a package for Kyrie Irving, but obviously didn't want to accept the Raptors deal. So Terrence Mann, 26 years old, currently averaging 9-4-2. Do you think the Clippers' reluctance to include him in a deal for Van Vliet was justified? I think it was. I'm I'm so fearful when it comes to a guy like Fred Van Vliet, uh, not because of the kind of player he is or the person he is. Like He's a hard worker, a champion, a self-made all-star after being undrafted out of Wichita State. Like, that's the kind of player you want on your team. Someone who has great connections with players are already on your team. You know, he won that championship with Kawhi Leonard. He won that championship with one of his guys that he's still super close with in Norman Powell. So in a vacuum, you you absolutely would want a, a Fred Van Vliet on your team. Here are the pratfalls. Fred Van Vliet just got new representation and has a player option for this summer. That is a risky kind of deal to make for a guy who is a flight risk. Just off of business. Number mm-hmm. two, Fred Van Vliet is six feet tall. Six feet tall. So, yeah, he's a dog defensively, man, but um, he's six feet tall. So are you really trying to pour out those assets into a smaller player like that? And then number three, did you see the playoffs last year against the Philadelphia 76ers? Fred Van Vliet, after playing close to 40 minutes, like I don't know what he averaged uh, for this season but I mean we all know Nick Nurse runs those dudes into the ground up in Toronto yeah. because they're so thin Fred's basically the mm-hmm. only point guard and so when you look at how he broke down at the end of the season Fred's got some miles on him recent miles that are a little scary man and we're talking about availability issues with the with the Clippers <laughs> what does sure. it look like bringing yeah. another dude in who you know because He's playing for a coach in Nick who plays these guys minutes like it's the 90s. Like, I think you have to keep that in mind when trying to get a guy to come in. And so I think all of those factors led to Fred being more prohibitive than maybe people were discussing. And with Terrence, man, Terrence is starting for a reason. There's a reason he's still here and Reggie Jackson and John Wall two quote-unquote traditional point guards are not. And it's because Terrence defensively makes plays, uh, has energy, and offensively can be a role player. And T. Lou also doesn't have to finish games with him. That's been a struggle, but uh, that's that's where where we're at. T. Lou, or also T-Man, has a contract extension that kicks in next year, and that value increases. There's more that you can do when that happens. All of those things, all of those things led to why the Clippers weren't going to cave into Masai's demands, if you will. Yeah. 
So let's talk about the deals that did happen. The Clippers bring in Bones Highland, Eric Gordon, and the Plum Dog in separate transactions. In what ways do you think those players may help alleviate some of the Clippers' issues, as you mentioned earlier? Well, let's start with Eric Gordon because he's the guy making the most money. <laughs> like yeah. uh, Eric, it took two players to get him. Um, John was, look, John did everything right as far as being a player who wanted to come here and connect with guys and get himself back to being a contributor. He missed most of the five NBA seasons. It just, it was tough. He he was so far behind and then his play declined and then he got hurt. He just lost control over his situation. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. So especially when Terrence Mann jumps into the starting lineup and you got now two veteran point guards as reserves, a consolidation was always coming. So yeah. you getting getting uh getting John traded allowed the Clippers to not have to buy him out. That was huge. Um Luke Kennard, let's focus on Luke because he's the biggest um when 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 you look at like who you bring in and Eric, that's the like for like for me. Uh Luke came to the Clippers as a Landry Shamit upgrade, a guy who had theoretical on ball chops to go with phenomenal shooting, but he had three main issues. Number one, you rarely saw the aggression necessary as far as a driver, as far as a a, a primary playmaker that will allow you to think that he would ever gain T. Lou's trust as a secondary or primary ball handler. So that's number one. Number two, as great of a shooter Luke Kennard is, my man attempted 10 threes in a game only nine times as a Clipper. And all those times came last year. It took him a while to get comfortable in year one. And this year, because of repeated injuries, uh, he just never – he never found that niche where T. Luke just practically begged him, please shoot the ball, Luke. You're such a great shooter, but you'd be an even better shooter if you shot the ball. That was an issue. And then number three, hmm. Luke Kennard can defend around when he's in lineups. That makes sense. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, if he's on the floor with those guys, he can hold up defensively. But when he's on the line, in the lineups that didn't have a center, had Norm Powell and John Wall out there, and again, defense, offense could just pick – pick their mismatch, Luke got exposed. Uh, Luke's just not going to be that kind of defender, um, you know, when he's surrounded by guys that can't really protect him. And that led to T. Lou saying, hey, if we're not going to do three-guard lineups, Luke is the odd guy out. In Eric Gordon, you have a guy who, even though he's older and is short, is a bulldog defensively. So you're not going to be picking on Eric Gordon like teams might have picked on Luke Kennard. That's number one. Number two, you have a downgrade in shooting. But Eric Gordon going to shoot that thing. And Eric's not a bad shooter, per se. So, yeah, it's a downgrade when you're looking at percentages. But when you're looking at willingness to make an impact, I think Eric's an upgrade. And then number three, while a lot of Luke Kennard's playmaking chops was theoretical, I think that Eric Gordon's playmaking chops, we've seen him both on teams that had stars like the good Rockets and teams that were uh, whatever the Rockets have been since the bubble. <laughs> like, Eric's been a guy who he can he can handle the ball uh at a at a high rate and make plays and 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 drive and be willing to make plays that we didn't see often enough from Luke. Anytime Luke did it, somebody would clip it off and be like, look, look what Luke Kennard did. He can do that. You're not gonna do that with Eric Gordon because it's gonna look like, you know, normal. So Eric yeah. <laughs> Eric is the Luke replacement. Bones Highland is the Reggie Jackson replacement in vibes, in shots, and uh, we don't know what this guy is going to do. All of that. 
it's a little unpredictable, but it's obviously a great thing that the Clippers basically got a 2021 first round pick in the trade market. You know, they traded their first round pick Keon Johnson to Portland last year as part of the deal that got them Norm and Rocco. I'm not going to go long on bones. That's pretty much what it is. You basically got yourself a prospect who's good enough to play because damn it, he was in the rotation for the number one team in the West, but also a guy who, you know, he's a young player and T Lou and young players don't always, don't always mix. We'll, so we'll see about bones. And then Mason Plumlee, look, um, I will, people kept on talking about Mason as if to say, you got to have someone who can defend Nikola Jokic and Giannis and Joel Embiid. And I'm like, you're not getting another center to do that. Those dudes look at every center in the league and get buckets. You don't bring in Mason Plumlee, you get stops, damn it. Especially if you saw the Hornets play the last two years. What defense does Charlotte Hornets play? Mason Plumlee's the center on that team. There's a reason Mark Williams was the first round pick of the Hornets this past year. That being yeah. said, I like I like the Plumley pickup overall because uh, the Clippers' backup center was uh, non-existent this season. They did not replace Isaiah Hartenstein um, at that position. They basically were like, "We'll get by uh, with Moses Brown on a two-way contract." His days are almost completely up. Um, Musa Diabate was their second round rookie. They put him on a two way. And the interesting is Plumlee's deal is up at the end of the year. I think the, they would love if Diabate were ready to be the backup next year. Um, this year is not next year. So they needed a guy and Mason is as close to Isaiah Hartenstein as you can get without actually having Isaiah Hartenstein. He's a great passer, a guy who attacks the offensive and defensive glass, a finisher. And now he takes jump shots with his left hand. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, look, Isaiah Hartenstein's a left-hand player. Let's get a guy who switched hands. There you go. Exactly. So I'm interested to see how that's going to work. But more than anything else, it just balances the roster. You literally consolidate your point guards and you get a legitimate center, a guy who is starting for a Hornets team that were terrible this year but was in the play-in last year. So it's a good move. Yeah. That was a that was an awesome overview. Well, <laughs> I, I feel like you just sold me on the Clippers deadline. Um, yeah. But there's one <laughs> question remaining because I'm not sold yet, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's one question remaining, which is they still have an open roster spot, and there has been speculation of how they will use that spot, including the right. possibility of bringing in Russell Westbrook once or if he is bought out. Actually, the Jazz GM just put out a quote that uh, Russell's open to staying. So we'll see. You wrote on Thursday. That a league source told the Athletic that Westbrook would have interest in joining the Clippers. Do you think that feeling is mutual? And how do you think Russ would fit on this team? I think the mutual feelings are, how can I say this? They're they're relatively subjective. And when I said because I reported that the feelings were mutual, I I know that Russ would be open to playing for the Clippers. And there are people in the Clippers organization that would be more open to Russ than others. And that's the key here. There's a lot going on with the Clippers dynamic as far as how they see their players. And that dynamic is going to play out over the course of this month of February. You have T. Lou, who basically said for the longest time, like this dude, T. Lou, man, sounds like Jerry Tarkanian when Tarkanian was coaching the Spurs back in the day 30 years ago. It's like, I just need a point guard. 
I just need a point guard. He's up here playing. Tark was playing Lloyd Daniels. This is a throwback for y'all. Y'all can hit me on the on you know, y'all can mention me later on. Aggregate that. But uh, T. Lou has said for the longest he needs a point guard, and they just traded the two point guards. What they yeah. So what's going to happen there? So. Um, uh-huh. T. Lou has made it pretty clear that he doesn't quite believe that you can just throw anyone out there and have them play point guard. Like Paul George is basically the point guard for this team. And that sure. has worn him down. It's worn Kawhi down. That's why the Clippers offense looks raggedy in the fourth quarter. And in the first three quarters lately, they've looked like the best offense in the damn league uh, for multiple weeks. That's a significant stretch. You only need two weeks to play a playoff series, right? So they've played offensively in a way that suggests that they know what they're doing. They're getting great shots, but in the fourth quarter, guys are looking tired. Those shots are falling short. Turnovers aren't, you know, um, the ball handling is not the same. So we know where T. Lou stands. PG played with Russ. PG loves Russ still. And Mm -hmm. so I know that PG would prefer to have Russ be happy with him, just like PG wanted John Wall to be here. Just like PG wanted Reggie Jackson to be here when he got bought out by the Detroit Pistons. Yep. Uh, will the Clippers listen to Paul George again? I don't know. I do not know. Hawaii might not be as vocal about uh, anything, but especially Russ or a point guard or the buyout market. But Kawhi sure. does let people know what what is on his mind. Kawhi is pretty uh, upfront about how the team needs to play. He always talks about we need to play smarter. We need to tighten things up. Kawhi, you just blew a team up by 20. Doesn't matter. We had to come back from 19 to do it. Like Kawhi is critical <laughs> with his guys, critical with himself. He's not impressed with himself. And so bringing in a point guard that he respects would make a difference. The question is, does that player exist? Is that player out there? You know, we know that he probably was feeling highly about a guy like Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Bleed. Those guys didn't get traded. Sure. So now mm-hmm. what are the options going forward? Like he respects Patrick Beverly, but he was also teammates with Patrick Beverly when the Clippers literally gave up Lou Williams to get Rondo. That didn't work. So that's a lot in the air right there. And then again, the front office, dude, they're going to take their time. They're not in a rush. And maybe that works out for them, but they're going to let these new guys that came in, they're going to watch and see how that looks before making a decision that they're going to have to live with. Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, like they have Michael Winger, who's got some familiarity with Russell Westbrook. Yep. Whether that be good or bad or what, I'm not sure what his perspective is. Um, I don't know if they can take on a player. I mean, Russ has come off the bench for the Lakers. It's great. He still has a 28% usage rate. Like, can, can the Clippers take on a guy who hasn't really been willing to take that much of a backseat yet? So I, I'm curious about that. It, and if it's not Westbrook, who else could take up that final roster spot? Is there anybody else that you think the Clippers would consider? I think Patrick Beverly, until he goes somewhere else, is going to be someone that, look, like uh, they can sign him if they wanted to. The Magic are going to buy out Patrick yeah. Beverly. So um, that's going to be interesting. Again, the Clippers know him for better or for worse. They know that there's a positive mm-hmm. there. He's a better roster fit than Russ because with sure. Russ, you're talking about a player who needs the ball to be effective when you already have a bunch of dudes who are going to have the ball. And so Russ is not a fourth quarter player to me. Russ is a 
between he he's a first three quarters player. And what I mean by that is a guy who you get uh, pushing the pace, changing the pace, going downhill, providing that kind of energy. Fourth quarter, when you need some stability in your offense, when you need some shooting and spacing and ball control and you can't make defensive mistakes, is Russ that player? Doubtful. Is Patrick Beverly that player? Um, questionable. Because you know Pat is going to be fine off the ball. He shoots the ball at a, at a, at a good clip, and he's going to be assignment sound defensively on and off the ball. It's just that Pat Beverly is uh, – he he has his there's a reason the Clippers traded him in the first place. Um the Clippers had to bench Pat Beverly to get to their first Western Conference finals, okay? To survive Luca in the first round. So Pat's a good player, but is he the answer to the narrative? He hasn't been before. Um George Hill is a guy who I'm wondering what Indiana's gonna do with him. Because yeah. Paul George Hill, hey, look, there's some familiarity with George Hill and PG as well. Um, a veteran, a guy who, you know, is been a good guy everywhere he's been. Um, of And so the thing with George is, is he too, is, has he declined too much to be anything close to a difference maker? But if you bring a George Hill in, like, is he, you know, he might not play, he might play. Um, it's, there's going to be a lot of guys out there. Um, and I mean, shoot, four, four players on the Lakers and Clippers, Playing the guard position just got traded to get bought out specifically to get bought out. There will be options and I'm fascinated to see how it progresses again uh, before the buyout deadline uh, comes to us. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, uh, thank you so much for answering all of our Clipper questions, but it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head against an NBA beat writer to test their wits when it comes to Clippers trivia. So, uh, Law, you've played this before. Um, how it works, come up with eight questions about the Clippers. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. And we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Uh, I get to pick the number. Yeah, uh, any one you want. You know what? Let's go, let's go with eight. Because I'm thinking about rotations anyway, so... Question yeah. number eight, the longest question. Law, this is not Eric Gordon's first time as a Clipper. He was drafted by the Clippers in 2008 and played three seasons with them before being traded in 2011. In Gordon's final season in L.A., the 2010-2011 season, he averaged 22-3-4. We're going to try to name 
all the other 16 players who played for the Clippers that season. So how this works, Law, you're going to give me a name. Then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So this is the 2010-2011 LA Clippers. There were 16 other guys who played minutes for the Clippers that year. Where would you like to start? Oh, my gosh. I could start? Yeah. Any name you want. All right. Well, I'll take the obvious one, Blake Griffin. That is correct. Andrew. DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan is correct. All right. The two big names off the board. Back to you, Law. Baron Davis. That is correct. Andrew. Uh, Chris Kamen. Yeah, Chris Kamen, the caveman. Back to Law. Mo Williams. That is correct. Back to Andrew. Uh, Mo Williams. Gosh. Okay. It's going to start um, getting dicey Eric, here in a second. Eric, Eric Bledsoe? Yes, Eric Bledsoe. That's a good one, Andrew. Back to law. Al Farouk Aminu. Chief. That is correct. Al Farouk Aminu. So you've gotten both of the guys that were included in the Eric Gordon trade. So back to Andrew. Oh, goodness. I think Randy Foy was on this team. Randy Foy was on this team. Andrew, back to law. Wow, you guys are doing great. You guys have gotten eight of the 16 names. Ryan Gomes. Yes, Ryan Gomes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Andrew. Seven I names left. Has been, I think my brain has been broken. Uh Still Gosh. some still some names you will know. The question is, can you remember them in the moment? Oh my gosh. I think I'm cooked. I think that's all I know. I don't I can't think of anybody else. All right, that means Law gets the two points. The other names, Rasul Butler, RIP, Jamario Moon, uh, one of my favorite fantasy guys from back in the day. <laughs> Once a globe trotter, Jamario Moon. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh Craig Smith. Do you remember Craig Smith? Rhino. Craig Smith. He, he, yeah. he had a moment in fantasy. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I only know all these guys from fantasy. Uh, Brian Cook. Yeah. Uh, Willie Warren. Boomer Sooner. Brian Cook. Yeah. Uh, Jaron Laker, Collins. No neck. And Ike Diogu. Uh, Ike Diogu. Okay. Would not have gotten Ike Diogu. Andrew, the board oh is yours and you are already down. Number one. Question number one. Uh, this is not going to be a good one for you, Andrew. Clippers have a lot of nicknames on Basketball Reference. Which of the following oh, is no. not a Basketball Reference nickname for a Clipper? Okay, so I'm going to give you five okay. nicknames. Four of them do appear okay. on Basketball Reference. One does not. Okay, here we go. Plums, Stat Stuffer, Storm and Norman, Batman, Sugar K. Once again, that is Plums, Stat Stuffer, Storm and Norman, Batman, Sugar K. Which one is not? Which one is not nickname? on Basketball Reference? Oh, gosh! Say the last two. The last two, Batman, Sugar K. Uh, uh, I guess I'll say Sugar K. I don't know, Andrew. That is correct. Great job for two yes. points. That was a nickname that Shaq gave to Kawhi a long time ago, but uh, it never stuck. Never stuck. Sugar <laughs> K. Leonard. <laughs> uh, okay, Law. Game is tied up. You have control of the board. 
Uh, we'll go with three. Question number three. Unsurprisingly, Kawhi and PG have the best on-off numbers for the Clippers this season. According to Cleaning the Glass, Kawhi is a plus 13.7. PG is a plus 11.6. Who has the third best on-off numbers with a plus 8.6? Does it have to be a player that is still on the roster today? It does not, Law. That is not a hint, but it does not. <laughs> I'm going to go with Luke Kennard then. Law, that is absolutely correct. For another two points. Wow, a clean sweep for you guys so far. Six wow. points possible, six points gained. Andrew, you have control oh, of the board. Number two. All right, another question you might regret. Regret. All three <laughs> of Mason Plumley, Eric Gordon, and Bones Highland made their respective all-rookie teams during their rookie seasons. Can you name one player from each of their all-rookie teams? Now, you get one point per correct answer. So how this works, Andrew, I'm going to tell you. Oh, my gosh. No, don't freak out. For instance, I'm going to say Bones Highland. He was on the 21-22 second team all-rookie. You just have to name one other player who is also on that 21. Team. Okay. Oh, my god. But gosh, you don't have no. to start with Bones. You could also do the 08-09 second team all-rookie, which is where Eric Gordon appeared, or the 13-14 first team all-rookie, which is where Mason Plumley appeared. Have to be on the team? Yeah, just an, oh, dude, you have, with them? You have four possible names. This is easy. Easy, easy peasy, Andrew. So where would you like to start? Okay. Bone, Bones care. was just last year. Bones was last year, 21-22, second team all-rookie. Okay. Second team all-rookie? Yeah. 21-22? Mm-hmm. Last season, just happened. Um, Jalen Green? That is incorrect, Andrew. He was on first team. First team. All right, Law, you get a chance. You could get three points here, Law. This is a big opportunity for you. Oh, I get three points, huh? Uh, Would you like to start with last year's uh, 21 22 second team all rookie? (laughs) Andrew has wheeled himself away from the camera. His uh, face is in Okay, look, if Bones made it, I'm going to guess that Ayo Dosumu made that team as well. That's a great guess. That is correct. Andrew, guess who made second team all rookie? Josh Giddy. Huh? Josh Giddy made it. Josh Giddy was on that team. Okay. Embarrassing. Okay. Embarrassing. Okay, Law, you can still get two more points. Uh, you can do Eric Gordon's all rookie team, which was the 08 09 second team all rookie, or you could do Mason Plumley's, which is the 13 14 first team all rookie. All right. Feeling confident well, about either of those? Yeah, yeah. Um, which one? I'm not sure yet. I'm not going to take too long. This is the this is this is the taping. We thirteen we edit it out. Uh, well, okay, thirteen fourteen. I'm really trying to rack my brain. Thirteen fourteen. That, first team all rookie. I did not like that draft. Um, so first team best of the best. That's a terrible draft. I, right? Terrible draft. Right? Seriously, yeah, man. it's awful. Uh, who the? F- I'm so mad at myself. <laughs> I, I, I am like, I, I will lose sleep over this moment. Uh, the other names, by the way, Andrew, Michael Herb Carter Jones. Williams. Yes, MCW. All right, for yeah, a clean a sweep, one. Law. If you can name a player from the 2008-2009 second team All Rookie, and I don't know if this is a hint, it's just a fact. There were, for some reason, six players on this all-rookie team because there was a tie. So you actually have five mm. chances. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, this is so far back, but that was a good class, too. And it's a great class. It's a great class. Right. 
It was a great class. Right. Uh, 2008. Uh, Who sucked that year? Um, <laughs> that's that's honestly where I'm where I'm trying to. Joe Alexander. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Um, uh, the other names: Herb Jones, Chris Duarte, Josh Giddy for the first one, and then uh, Oladipo, Trey Burke, and Tim Hardaway Jr. So that just leaves 0809. Andrew, just for the sake of time, I'm going to just donate this one. Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is incorrect. The other names, if you can believe it, Kevin Love, because they refuse to play him, Mario Chalmers, Mark Gasol, DJ Augustine, and Rudy Fernandez, who took the dunk contest spot wow. from Russell Westbrook. They sure did. But they gave it to him. It was a fan vote. It was vote. a fan vote. It was a fan vote. Fans were wrong. Okay. Uh yeah, Law, right. you have control of the board and a commanding lead. Oh man! Well, yeah, this is not good. Let's let, let's uh, let's go to five. Question number five: According to Cleaning the Glass, when it comes to finishing at the rim, there are only two Clippers players who rank above the fiftieth percentile for their position. <laughs> who are they? And you get for one their point position. Per correct answer for their position. That's uh, the way Cleaning the Glass does it. You know, you get compared to all the other bigs or compared to all the other wings. So there's only two guys who are above the 50th percentile for finishing at the rim on the Clippers. One of those guys has to be Terrence Mann. That is correct. Can you and the other one? Seven points, Lon. That's a lot of points. The other one. He's gonna get it. Uh, I'm gonna say Norman Powell. Norman Powell. That is incorrect. Andrew, you can salvage this recent uh, poor performance if you can get this name. Finishing at the rim. What about Kawhi? Sounds right, but it's not. It's Paul George. All right. It's really not right. Andrew, you're down seven to two, but don't fear. There's still three questions left. <sighs> number four. Question number four. What is oh you could get you could get three points on this question, Andrew. What is the most okay. amount of steals Robert Covington has ever gotten in a single game? You choose who answers first. If you get it right, you get a bonus point. So you have the potential to get three points here. However, if you let Law guess first and he gets it right, he could get two points. The most amount of steals that Robert Covington has ever had in a game. In a single game. Gosh, I've been so bad at these questions. I've been so, well, so bad at these questions. I mean, questions. you can guess that this one isn't 20, so it's a pretty narrow range of numbers that it would be. <laughs> you can probably get close. <laughs> Maybe he did have 20 steals. That'd be wild. Eight. All right. Andrew guesses eight. Law, would you like to go higher or lower than that? I'm going to go lower. Eight steals. The correct answer was eight. Andrew just got three (gasps) points. Yes! To pull back within two with uh, two Uh, questions to go. This is exciting. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Law, two questions left. Six or seven? Seven. Question number seven. Avica Zubats had a game earlier this season where he totaled 29 rebounds. Who was the most recent player before Zubats to have at least 29 rebounds in a game? Most recent player besides Zu with that many rebounds. I'm going to say... Most recent Clipper or most recent anybody? Most recent anybody. Most recent anybody. Um, So... Uh, that's hard. Dwight Howard. 
As a member of the Charlotte Hornets in 2018, Dwight Howard put up a 32 and 30, which I had forgotten about. That is absolutely correct, Law. Oh my gosh, Law. Law has nine points to Andrew's five. Oh my but Andrew, word. you get to answer the final question. Not worth whatever you're behind, but you can salvage something. And this could potentially be our highest scoring game of all time. Mason Plumley was traded to the Clippers on Thursday. Mason has two mm-hmm. brothers who have played in the NBA, Miles and Marshall. Name three NBA teams who have never rostered a Plumley. And to let you know, there are 18 teams, but you have to name all three. I'm not giving you one point per correct answer. You have to give me three teams where you've never seen a Plumley. Never okay. in your life. Miles, Marshall, Mason. Oh my gosh, I know one of them. Which is, you can say it out loud, it doesn't matter at this point, you're dead, dead in the water. That's true, the Thunder have never had one of their guys. That is true. One of those guys. That is true, Andrew. I knew you'd get that one. Um, Are you picturing them in your head? You're running through all the uniforms. I kind of. Doing a little fashion show of all the Plumley brothers in your head. (laughs) Trying on jerseys, does that look right? Um, uh, gosh, no, I'm just, I just don't know. What about the Spurs? Have the Spurs had a plumbing? No, they haven't, Andrew. Here you go. You could get two points. You can get the final one. A team that has never had a plumbing. Nope, that's not it. Nope. Um... It's like the least interesting <laughs> trivia question ever. <laughs> it's a difficult one, man. It is difficult because there really are difficult. 18 teams that haven't had one, but it's still really hard because a lot of landmines out there that you could step on. I know. The... You're trying so the hard. Heat? Have the Heat have a, have the heat have they a have kind of They have not, Nandrew. That gets you two points. Unfortunately, you lose the final score, nine to seven. Law Murray is the winner today. Congratulations, man. Law. Thank you. Man. You got three wow. points on a question, though, man. So shout out to you, Andrew. That was, that was pretty good, Andrew. Uh, that, I, was, I was doing the plum dog fa- fashion show. <laughs> in my head. Oh my gosh. Go go read Law Murray. He's awesome. Uh, you can listen to him uh, from time to time on the Daily Ding as well. Uh, one of my favorite people here at The Athletic. Please go read his stuff. Law, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Shout out to Saturday mornings. All right, Andrew, that was Clippers and Weekend. What an eventful week it was. But now it is time to choose a new team, and we have 17 teams left, including... Uh, the Detroit Pistons. We could watch the beginning of the James Wiseman era, perhaps. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> Does that excite you? A little bit? No. A little no, bit? No, no. Uh, all right, let's nope. spin the wheel, <laughs> see who we get. The Wheel of Phantom team. Oh, boy. Will be. Is it going to be? The Toronto Ooh. Raptors. That's a nice one to get. They just brought in Pirtle. Very... Yeah. Turtle reunion. Kept all their guys. Are they? Are they good? We'll find I out. I think could be the could be the title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's are the Raptors good? I have no idea. I'm actually quite intrigued with that. So I'm I'm the wheel has given us a little gift there because I am very intrigued by the Raptors, especially post deadline. 
And I, maybe there's some stress. Maybe there's some stress around the Raptors the last few weeks. You know, <laughs> you know they can let loose. Just, just hoop now. Just hoop, Raptors. Uh, so that episode will air in two weeks. Next weekend, we will be, or I will be, at All-Star Weekend. Uh, Alex will be taking a break, and we will have a special edition of the Saturday Slam and Jam pod next week where we will uh, be live from Salt Lake City talking about the Rising Stars challenge. So I'm very uh, excited about that. So we'll do a post-game show of that for the Saturday Slam and Jam. So tune in for that next week. Hey, Andrew, guess what? Uh, hmm. Guess who the uh, Raptors play twice over the next two weeks? The Thunder? The Detroit Pistons. We will get to see the new era of James Wiseman. Oh boy, lots of James Wiseman in, in, in all of our futures here. <laughs> We're also going to get to see uh, uh, so that, the Cavs, the Bulls, the Pelicans, the Magic, yeah. and the Jazz. This is actually a pretty easy stretch for the uh, Raptors, all things considered. Just okay. be able to pick up some wins here, get off to a good second half start. Hey, maybe the wheel, maybe this is good. The wheel has, uh, has smiled on many a franchise this season, so hopefully the Raptors will get, get back in the mix after this. Uh, if you want us to read something that you write on this podcast, you can write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll do that. Uh, this first one comes from at Dr. Bowtie. I guess not at Dr. Bowtie. That's on Twitter. Just Dr. Bowtie. Five stars. I'm a genuine fan of the Slam and Jam. It's a fun blend of local and national NBA, and the trivia is one of the few things worth listening to at normal speed. <laughs> but to prove you... <laughs> Prove that you really read all the five-star reviews. Please wish a happy Valentine's Day to Catherine. Thanks for being my partner. Hey, happy Valentine's Day, Catherine. Does that mean Catherine's happy, a fan happy, of the show as well? I don't she know. must be. Why else? I hope that she's... That? Uh, I don't How know. How is she going to hear this? Too... <laughs> I don't know. Happy Valentine's Day, Catherine. Hope, hope that you're listening to this right now. Uh, next one comes from bookworm jeff 94577 i guess there were lots of bookworm jeffs out there that you had to add the numbers there hmm. do you think there were 94000 bookworm jeffs out it's there tough out there I'm just i'm just wondering i don't know uh this says five stars the saturday slam jam is my favorite nba podcast wow thank you uh andrew and alex keep me entertained during my saturday work commute I'm always impressed that Andrew can keep up with the various beat writers and super fans during Andrew versus the Beat. Not this week. Bookworm Jeff and Alex should get a side gig as the movie preview voiceover guy. <laughs> I agree. totally agree with that. No one can make these silly NBA trivia questions more riveting and suspenseful. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for that review. And again, if you want your review read on the podcast, just leave it. Five stars on Apple Podcasts and mention Slam and Jam and we'll read it on the show. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, enjoy the weekend and the basketball and we'll be back next week again with a special episode of Slam and Jam from All-Star Weekend. <laughs>